0: NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings.
1: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson Pete. Join us on the Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice
2: over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact.
3: From the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, June 2nd. Coming up today. The Senate passes a debt deal. It now awaits President Biden's signature.
0: Wall Street prepares for May's jobs report. Jamie Dimon heads to Taiwan after wrapping up his visit to China.
3: And a big shipmaker reports earnings in the midst of the A.I. frenzy.
4: The White House says President Biden is fine after he took a tumble on stage. Plus, the Piano Man's record run at Madison Square Garden is coming to an end. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead.
5: I'm John Stanshower in sports. Easy win for the Nuggets. They beat the Heat to start the NBA Finals. The Mets finished a sweep for the Phillies.
4: That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts.
3: Good morning, I'm Amy Morris. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. Karen, the Senate has passed the debt limit bill. The vote came late
0: into the night after a day-long debate over budget cuts. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says Democrats managed to preserve their agenda.
5: The bill preserves the lion's share of the historic investments we've made to grow our economy, make the U.S. more competitive on the world stage, which the Republican caucus in the House seemed intent on tearing down. They didn't get to do that.
0: Instead, Schumer says they were able to keep funds in place for infrastructure and job growth. This as Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says the bill is a step in the right direction.
4: But make no mistake, there's much more work to be done. The fight to reel in wasteful spending is far
2: from over.
0: McConnell calls the bill a, quote, step toward fiscal sanity. The measure now goes to President Biden, who plans to sign it just days ahead of a U.S. default.
3: Melanie, well, the bill passed by a vote of 63 to 36. Five Democrats voted no, and several Republicans voiced strong opposition to the measure. Senator Rand Paul said the measure doesn't go far enough to rein in spending.
2: A debt deal that creates no limits to the debt accumulation over two years is not fiscally responsible and should be rejected.
3: Senator Paul voted against the bill. So did Mike Braun. We spoke with a Republican senator from Indiana just ahead of the vote.
2: This is just
4: beginning of future agony until we get some discipline and common sense and guardrails, which we do not have currently.
3: And Senator Braun spoke with Joe Matthew and Kaylee Lyons on Bloomberg Sound On. Catch the program weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern and listen to the show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. And with the threat of a default squarely
0: behind us, attention turns now to today's jobs report. Economists forecast a gain of 195,000 jobs in May and an employment rate ticking up to 3.5 percent. We get a preview from Bloomberg Economics correspondent Michael McKee. The May
6: jobs report is expected once again to show a slowdown in the pace of hiring. But although that's been the case for some months now, it really hasn't happened. Hiring has exceeded forecasts in 19 of the past 20 months. That's not what the Fed wants to see. Unemployment is expected to tick up, but only because more people entered the labor force, not because companies are letting people go. That's also not what the Fed is looking for. At the moment, investors see the central bank on hold for June, but a strong report could lead to a repricing if the data show the fed may not have yet done enough to beat inflation Michael McKee Bloomberg Daybreak
3: All right Michael thank you well after wrapping up his high profile trip to China we're learning that JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon is planning to visit Taiwan and we get the details from Bloomberg's John Tucker John good morning
4: Karen it's a trip that requires some delicate navigating the landscape dotted with geopolitical hostilities China always has something to say when political figures visit Taiwan Beijing fears it's going to give Taiwan the image of a sovereign nation. It claims the island as is part of Chinese territory. A diamond plans a meeting with around 500 local employees and customers. JP Morgan's Taiwan operations include corporate and investment banking, commercial banking, and an asset management business. He's at least the third major global CEO to have visited Taiwan over the past two weeks. In New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak.
0: All right, thank you, John. First it was Jamie Dimon, then Elon Musk. Now we're learning of another big name planning to visit China. Bloomberg Steven Engel reports from Hong Kong.
1: Another one of the top billionaires in the world, in fact, who just lost his title as the world's richest man to Elon Musk this week. We're talking about Bernard Arnault, the LVMH billionaire CEO. We're hearing he's planning a visit to China this month. Obviously, the consumer is key to the big luxury brands, and the consumer is sort of reluctant to spend right now.
0: Bloomberg's Stephen Engel notes China's the world's biggest luxury market per capita. This visit would be the LVMH CEO's first trip to China since the pandemic.
3: And Amy, Apple's planning a deeper push into China, along with other parts of Asia. It's part of the iPhone maker's efforts to expand and revitalize its retail chain. Sources say Apple's looking to open 15 new stores across the Asia-Pacific region, as well as five locations in Europe and the Middle East, plus four additional outlets in the U.S. and Canada. In total, the company is proposing 53 new relocated or remodeled stores over the next four years.
0: Turning to markets, another chip maker highlighting artificial intelligence in its earnings report brought com says AI spending is helping fuel sales, but not enough to offset a broader post-pandemic slowdown. those details from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet.
6: Broadcom is one of the world's biggest chip makers. It said revenue in the fiscal third quarter will be about $8.85 billion, up 4.6% from a year earlier. Though that tops the analyst estimate of $8.76 billion, it would represent its slowest growth in years. On the plus side, the forecast suggests that NVIDIA is not the only chip maker benefiting from the AI frenzy. Broadcom's networking components help direct traffic between computers, in giant data centers and it's a maker of custom chips for some of the biggest cloud computing providers. In New York, Charlie Pellett, Bloomberg Daybreak.
0: Thank you, Karen. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael.
4: Good morning, Amy. The White House says President Biden is fine after he took a fall on stage at the U.S. Air Force Academy graduation ceremony in Colorado. Biden had delivered the commencement address and shook hands with graduates when he appeared to have tripped on a black sandbag on the stage. Biden got back up and joked he got sandbagged. Meanwhile, former President Trump reacted to the news.
6: He actually fell down. Well I hope he wasn't hurt.
4: Trump made his comments while campaigning in Iowa. We're learning more about the last few days of Jeffrey Epstein's life in a Manhattan jail cell. According to newly obtained records by the Associated Press, Epstein called himself a coward two weeks before ending his life. The disgraced financier complained he was struggling to adapt to life behind bars following his July 2019 arrest on federal sex trafficking and conspiracy charges. The disgraced financier was under psychological observation at the time for a suicide attempt just days earlier that left his neck bruised and scraped. Two more members of a far-right group have been sentenced for their roles on January 6th. More from Bloomberg's Dan Schwartzman. Two more Oath Keepers have been
5: sentenced to prison for their roles in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Edward Vallejo received a three-year sentence, while Roberto Minuta was sentenced to four years and six months. Vallejo was also sentenced to three years of supervised release following his prison term. The government was looking for a sentence of 17 years for each of the defendants. Last week, the founder of the far-right group, Stuart Rhodes, received by far the longest sentence of anyone who's been tried for January 6th, receiving an 18-year sentence handed down by United States District Court Judge, Amit Meta In New York, I'm Dan Schwartzman,
4: Bloomberg Radio. The average annual cost of raising a child in America is nearly $21,000. That's according to a study by financial information provider Smart Asset, which analyzed 381 metro areas across the country. Billy Joel says his record-breaking stay at Madison Square Garden is about to wind up.
1: Sing us a song.
4: After 150 shows, Joel announced that his run will end. His MSG tour began almost a decade ago with a promise that it would last as long as the demand continues. Joel says, I'm kind of flabbergasted that it lasted as long as it did. The first of the final 10 shows will take place on October 20th. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Amy.
0: All right. Thank you, Michael. Oh, no for our Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. Thanks, Amy. The NBA Finals underway in
5: Denver, where the Nuggets have yet to lose in these playoffs and where there had never been a Finals game played before. Denver jumped in front, led by 17 at halftime, beat the Heat in Game 1, 104-93. Yet another triple double for Nikolo Jokic. He's had them in six of his last seven games. He had 10 assists by halftime, scored 27, despite only taking three shots in the first half. Jamal Murray scored 26. So did Bam Adebayo in defeat. He didn't have much help. Max Struess and Duncan Robinson together took 14 three-pointers and missed all but one. The Nuggets took 20 free throws, and the Heat took only two. That's a playoff record. The Denver coach,
6: Mike Malone. I reminded our group, if they didn't know, that Miami went into Milwaukee in one game one. They went into the Garden in New York City in one game one. They won game one up in Boston. So uh, we did not want them coming in here taking control of the series on our
5: court. Into Sunday, Stanley Cup final begins tomorrow. Florida, Vegas, Yankees and Dodgers tonight in L.A. Luis Severino against Clayton Kershaw. Mets will have Justin Verlander on the mound at Citi Field versus Toronto. The Mets finished a sweep of the Phillies winning 4-2, to two, so they only gave up three runs in three games. Mark Canna, who drove in all four runs Wednesday, had the big hit again, a two-run homer to snap a tie. Americans moving on at the French Open. Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafoe, both in four sets. Coco Gauff, straight sets. Good match coming up today. Top seed, Carlos Alcaraz versus the Canadian, Dennis Shapovalov. Rangers acquired Patrick Kane at the trade deadline. Now a free agent. He's not going to be able to play for four to six months. Hip surgery. Tom Brady and Sissy's retired. People connecting dots. He might play for the team that he just became a part owner of, the Las Vegas Raiders. John Stash, we're Bloomberg Sports.
6: Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at stiefel.com. That's S T I F E L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas and Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
1: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight
0: And good Friday morning. I'm Amy Morris. Earnings expectations on the rise. Corporate confidence starting to recover. Stocks have climbed after the debt ceiling deal passed. Its last congressional hurdle. Lori Calvasina is head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. And she joins us now to talk about all of it. Lori, thank you for taking the time with us this morning. That debt ceiling deal, it passed late last night. How does that fit into your outlook?
2: Well, thanks for having me, as always, Amy. And look, I think that one of the things we heard over the last month or so was non-U.S.-based investors, particularly the hedge fund community, had been looking at the debt ceiling as a reason to be negative on the U.S. equity market. And to be fair to them, it is something that traditionally, when we've had these dramas, has knocked the market down pretty hard. When you looked at U.S.-based investors, they were more of the opinion that we would get a deal done, and they were looking for maybe some short-term dislocations where they could scoop up some stocks on the cheap. They didn't end up getting that. But i think that 's one of the reasons why the market didn 't sell off, you know kind of heading into this drama now that being said, I do view resolution as a positive because if we go back to that kind of non u s based stock uh, you know kind of hedge fund type investor we 've pulled off a reason that they had they had coming into the summer to be very negative on the u s equity market. So I want to see how the market trades over the next few days. Um, I do think that this debt ceiling drama was one more reason to push people out of cyclicals and into tech stocks. If that reverses, we'll still have to see you know how the market digests that in the short term. But I do think, in general, this is a very, very good development heading into the summer.
0: Yeah, so far, futures seem to really like it. Dow's already up 140 points. The Treasury, though, depleted its cash buffers in the run-up to the debt ceiling and now has to build that back up. Is this going to tighten liquidity?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's TBD. We certainly hear about that concern. I do think, though, if, if it does end up impacting liquidity, it's one of many different factors driving the market right now. And I do think that ultimately, what's going to drive stock prices in the second half of the year more than any, you know, other technical measure is going to be whether or not we get a recovery in the economy and in the earnings backdrop in 2024. And so far, those stats are holding up. If you look at earnings forecasts, if you look at GDP forecasts on the street, the bulk of the damage to the economy and the earnings backdrop are expected to be limited to 2023. Um, stocks are very forward-looking right now. And as long as we can keep that recovery thesis intact, I think we're going to you know, sort of weather any you know, kind of technical storm.
0: Do you expect that to impact equities?
2: You know, I do think that, you know, with with the liquidity measure, I think we have to wait and see. You know, certainly if we're looking at where markets are right now, we just raised our target to 42.50, and we're definitely, you know, right up in that. We have thought that if you looked at the tech trade in particular, you know, conditions are ripe for a breather. I hesitate to use the word pullback because I think that sounds a little bit more nefarious than it is. Um, But I do think that we've done so much work in the market. It wouldn't be surprising to me uh, to see the market take a little bit of a sigh of relief, you know, an edge back. That's the kind of thinking that's embedded in that kind of flat target through year end. But we'll have to see if it manifests. Certainly, some of our models are pointing to upside to 4,400 or 4,600.
0: Now, you just touched on it. I want to dig a little bit deeper. You upped your year-end target for the S&P 500. Why did you do that?
2: Well, look, you know, I've been on the road Six of the past seven weeks. You know, frankly, you know, all over the country, both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., talking to investors, and it was just clear to me after those travels that the bears on this market have been dead wrong, and they've been dead wrong for bad reasons. And we really wanted to articulate that with our target. Is there a massive, you know, kind of upswing moving from a forty-one hundred number, which was our prior target, to forty-two fifty? No. But we really wanted to reiterate the view that given, you know, the distance that we've traveled in this market, we do think that these moves have been deserved. We do think it's wrong to take a deeply negative view from here. Um, We do think that we are in a messy post-crisis normalization period. We don't buy the idea that this is a bear market rally. We think some of the concerns about Brett are overblown. And frankly, we think a recession was priced in in October and a very onerous earnings backdrop was priced in in October. And we think a lot of the bears have simply forgotten that stocks are discounting mechanisms. And so we wanted to really articulate what we thought was going to drive markets in the second half of the year. And we do think it's that recovery thesis. We also think that valuations can be higher than some of our peers do uh, simply because of the moderation, inflation and stabilization of of interest rate environments. The bearish sentiment that's been in place is a a contrarian buy signal in and of itself. Um, And we think that we're in an earnings revision recovery period now. So we really wanted to articulate those things.
0: Uh, Very briefly, we've got about 30 seconds here. What are you watching for for today?
2: In terms of today, you know, we, we don't have our own forecast on the economic data, but we do watch for how we trade relative to consensus. I want to see you know, sort of how the market digests this employment print regarding, obviously, what the Fed is going to do next. There's been a you know, kind of shift in thinking that we're due for another hike to come up. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I think markets would do well if we saw some of those expectations reduced, but we have to see what the data shows.
0: and Bloomberg 960
3: in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130.
0: Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com.
3: I'm Amy Morris. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak.
6: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk?